All right, if you have your Bible, Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning with verse number 13. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that is thine and go thy way. I will give unto this, I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. For many shall, for many be called, many be called, but few chosen. Many be called, but few chosen. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that you would touch and move. God, I pray that you would be able to speak to me through, the, through this message this morning, the word you have laid upon my heart. Lord God, to speak to the church and to the people. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. Shake some hands. Greet someone. Welcome into the house of God. Thank you. God bless you. I, uh, I kind of think Sister Faith set the stage a little bit for me this morning because her, her message, her little bit there was, was quite intense, and I totally agree with those sentiments. She and I are, are like. We really are a team when it comes to the kingdom of God, and that factor really is at the bottom of what I want to bring to you today. So I'm going to talk to you. Everybody say, I made the team. I made the team. So you, do you remember when you were a child and uh, it was time to have pickup for picking up sides for a baseball game or a football game or whatever it was that you were going to do and you're going to get together and I, I sure do. I, I remember growing up in Cortland, New York and we lived on Maple Street, how ironic. Uh, we lived on Maple Street there, and we're living on Maple Street now. But I remember we would assemble in the, uh, in the, in the yard, used to be an old schoolyard across the house from where we lived, and it was now the Board of Education, but the yard was still there and, and the playground, and, and we would assemble. The neighborhood kids would get together after school on a summer day or a Saturday, and we would just all co start collecting. You know, and you know how kids do. And we'd see who was there, and then we'd, anybody want to play softball? And so, okay, yeah. So we'd get our bats and our balls, and we'd get, and you'd start to pick up teams, right? Remember how it was when you were picking up teams? And there were always those people who, for whatever reasons, were always sure to be first picked. Either they were the most popular, they had the most friends, you know, popularity one, or they were are the most confident, or they were deemed to be the most athletic and therefore the best choice to be picked. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of, some of you were the first picked 
And so you don't even count today because you don't even know what I'm talking about. You're so comfortable, so used to it that you didn't even have an idea what it was like to be on the other end of the line. Now, those that were like me, that always were down toward the bottom of the list, being last to be picked, you're the ones I want to talk about today. You know what it felt like. You go back there, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. <laughs> Dancing all around, trying to get attention. Woo, 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 you pick me. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. And so you know how it felt to be picked, to be chosen, to be selected, to, to feel like you made the team. You know what it was like, how important that was to you. And uh, although I was maybe not deemed the most first pickable, once I got my shot, once I got my chance to show what I could do, I did show what I could do. I did show what I could do, and I was always good enough, pretty good enough, amen. And if you've ever played ball with me out here on this field, you know still I can still get a base hit every time, amen. So I was always pretty good enough. I may never hit a home run yet, but I would put it where it counted, praise God, and it would show, you know, that, that I could do something, amen, great. Now, some of you took it to the next level. And, you know, uh, some of you may, may, may go to basketball games and uh, you attend a basketball game or you go uh, watch your, 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 your high school team play on a Friday night and you sit out in the bleachers, right? So there's a lot of people that are sitting on the bleachers that are not in the team. They might be rooting for a team. No doubt they are rooting for a team. And in their heart, they had like to play and in their heart they know all the plays and they know all the faults and the mistakes and in their heart amen they're fighting for that team but they're not actually involved in that team you sit in front of your tv and you watch that super bowl or you watch that world series you know and you're shouting for and you're rooting for somebody to win you're not on that team but you are on that team in your heart but you're not actually playing some of you are such good armchair quarterbacks. I mean, you, you should have been on that team. You could have won that Super Bowl. I mean, you absolutely could have won it. If you'd have been the coach, if you'd have been there playing, you would have known what to do. Amen. You would have done it right. But you weren't even in the bleachers. You weren't even in the stadium. You were sitting on the couch with a bowl of potato chips. And that's how far from the team you actually were. Hallelujah. And some of you went, you went out for the team, you know? Anybody go out for the team? Anybody go out for the tryouts? Okay, we're going to have the tryouts. Football season is coming. We're going to have the tryouts. Okay. So anybody can come and try out, but not anybody gets picked. Right? So if you were one of those lucky ones that you did the tryout and you got picked, well, good. I made the team. Right, Justin? Justin played football in school, didn't he? He told me the other day about it. He was a little guy, a runty guy, a little guy. 
But he got in there and he made the team. <laughs> probably, probably got ran over a few times and trampled. But yet. so you tried out. You made the team. So okay, woo! I made the team. But oh, wait a minute, the trouble is not over yet. Mm-hmm. Trouble. You might be on the team, but are you the first line? Are you the bench? Amen. And in any endeavor, you could take it all the way to pro football, basketball, or baseball, or hockey, or whatever it is. There's a lot of people on that team. They made the team, but they ain't on the floor. They're not on the field, and they're not on the ice. They're on the bench. Because they made the team, but they're not out there playing. Amen. Something happened somewhere. They was almost good. And we'll keep you just in case our main guy gets knocked out. Hallelujah. Now, am I talking to anybody who was on the team but on the bench? Raise your hand if you were on the team but on the bench in your sports. Oh, nobody. We got, we got a couple. <laughs> finally, those ads finally went up. I know you're embarrassed. That's all right. Do you remember Amen. what it was like, if you ever got it, and the coach said, okay, Catlin, get on out there. Get on out there. I'm going to put you in. I'm going to pull him out. Get on. Here's your chance, Catlin. And Catlin running out there. Woo! <laughs> I'm in the team. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me. To me. Hit me with a bomb. <laughs> Praise God. So, you see what I'm talking about? You make my point here. How special it is to have gotten to that place where you now can be in the job. You can be in the work. You can be participant. I'm, I'm participating. I'm, I'm important. What I'm doing is making a difference. I'm helping out. It's working. I made the team. Well, it must have been something, really something special to have been selected and chosen by Jesus Christ. It really must have been something else. The adventure of a lifetime. They were going to be on the front row of miracles, signs, and wonders. Devils couldn't resist him. The winds and waves couldn't stop him. No sickness that he was ever presented with was a challenge to him. And he could speak to death and say, wait a while longer. Hallelujah. Praise God. What a thing to have been on the team. Jesus comes out of the wilderness 40 days fasting, praying, being tempted of the devil, comes out of the wilderness. The first thing he does is to walk along the shores of Galilee and choose Peter and Andrew. The first two that he picked, he chose them from the net. Chose them as from fishing on the shores of Galilee. Where that was was Capernaum. I've been to Capernaum. In fact, I've been to Peter's house. I've actually been there. Been to the synagogue he attended, and Jesus spoke it. 
And he walked along the seashores of Galilee and he picked Peter and Andrew, the first two he picked. Now, if you'd have known anything about Peter, that old cussing, loud mouth, drinking, redneck of a man, just a man's man, a working man of the, of the world. He, man, he was a roughneck. He was a roughneck. If you'd have known anything about Peter as a man, you would have wondered, has the Lord lost his mind? I thought you just fasted for 40 days. And you come and you get that guy out of this whole village? You pick that guy? He don't even attend synagogues. I mean, he, he skips out of church all the time. He, he's not even listen to him talk. He's, oh, my Lord, you picked him? That was the first two he picked. Then he, a little bit later, picks James and John. They're from the same village. And he picks them. Somewhere along the line, as he's walking about, teaching and doing miracles, he comes across a tax collector named Matthew and calls him away. Tax collectors were to be despised. They were cheats. They were fraudulent cheaters and liars. And uh, everybody hated them. And, but he picked something about Matthew. He picked him, took him away from the receipt of customs. A little while later, he finds Nathaniel or Bartholomew sitting under the fig tree, wondering, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he picks this doubter and this cynic. Along the way, he picks a whole lot of people. Amen. And, and there's, there are a rough bunch. There are a rough crowd. Thomas Didymus, Thomas the doubter, uh, uh, Simon Zelotes and uh, Judas Iscariot picks them all. One, one reading of scripture says that Jesus went into the mountain to pray all night and when he was in the mountain after he had prayed all night he called the twelve unto them and chose, he called his followers, he called a whole group of them and out of those group of followers he chose the twelve and the twelve were named. He picked them. I made the team. I was selected. I'm important. So we call them the big three. The big three. Peter, James, and John. Peter, the impulsive, loudmouth, outspoken, the intuitor who somehow had some kind of a spiritual intuition that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you, and I'm going to build my church upon this rock. He was all of these negative, bad things, but yet there was something deep inside of him that was at the same time spiritually intuitive. He was spiritually intuitive inside of a carnal shell, a box of a man. You can have it both ways. Some people don't understand. They think, you know, we think in binary terms. It's either all good or it's all bad. If that's a good person, that's always a good person. And that's a bad person, and that's always a bad person. But there is, we are complex. We are complex, compartmentalized, damaged, fragmented uh, people. Hallelujah. And, and the Lord sees things in us that other people cannot see and that maybe we don't even know are really there. God sees us. He knows our future actions before we do. He knows what we're going to do, amen, even before we do. And so he can select and pick on, on, on basis 
that we don't even understand or that we cannot appreciate. If I had to pick 12 disciples for Jesus, I would not have picked those 12, and neither would have you picked those 12. We would have been looking for people a lot more qualified because we judge by the outside and not by the inside. But I love the fact that Jesus can take somebody in the rough. He took me in the rough. And I'm still in the rough in a lot of ways. But Jesus can take somebody in the rough because he sees the diamond inside. He sees the gold. He sees the silver. He sees what's inside, amen, of that rough ore, amen, that nobody on the outside can really appreciate or tell. But God sees if I get done with this person, I'm going to run them through some fire first. And we're going to melt some of that stuff down out of them. And then I'm going to put them under a lot of pressure. I'm going to squeeze them real, real hard. Because under enough pressure, the diamond will start to show. And I'll bring that out. Hallelujah. Amen. And I'm going to, I'm going to purify them. I'm going, I'm going to treat them to some more fire. And we're going, to, we're, going to bring the, we're going to bring the garbage out and scoop it off the top and throw it away. Amen. I'm going to purify them. And, and I'm, going to keep, I'm going to keep at them. I'm going to take the hammer out. And I'm going to pound on them away. While. I'm going to beat on them a while. Hallelujah. Amen. But when I do, I'm going to bring out the good in them. I'm going to bring out the pure. I'm going to bring out the workable. I'm going to make something I can use. I'm going to take that old clay and I'm going to pound on it. And I'm going to push on it. I'm going to slam it. I'm going to get the air bubbles out. I'm going to knead it. I'm going to push it down. And I'm going to put it on the wheel and spin it around and around. Amen. And I'm going to, I'm going to shape it. I'm going to mold it. Hallelujah. And, and, and if something, if there's a bump in there or uh, if there's something in there, a lump in that old clay, amen, it ain't right. That pot looks almost right. It ain't good enough. I'm going to take it out of the wheel. I'm going to smash it down again. I'm going to lump it down again. I'm going to mash it up again. Hallelujah. Work. Work. Because when I'm done with him, when I'm finished with her, that'll be something to be proud of. That'll be something I can use. That'll be good stuff. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. James and John, the sons of thunder. Boanerges, sons of thunder. Jesus called them sons of thunder and lightning. And there was something about, who are these guys? They were the sons of Zebedee and Salome who were uh, friends, who were of the lineage of the priesthood, who were friends, actually, of Caiaphas, the high priest, maybe having been the cousin of Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, Zebedee. And so he was the father of James and John. So these were people that had some very, very important connections in there. And uh, so they were uh, cousins of Jesus as well. And... Just as well as John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. If you remember, Mary had a cousin named Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. Mary was the mother of Jesus. So there was a lot of family in this mix. And there was connection there. Jesus had family, immediate family, and extended family. His immediate family didn't follow him right away, not until after the resurrection. But he had some extended family who were uh, who were converts, who did believe in him. And James and John were two of those. Uh, so 
who, who was James and who was John? Well, you know John was the younger brother of James and John wrote the Gospel of John and he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John was the youngest of the disciples and, and was described as the beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved. He was the one that sat right next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper. And uh, he was very, very close uh, with Jesus. It was a great charismatic personal uh, closeness that Jesus shared with John and John with Jesus. That was, a, it was an intimate thing. And then James, his, his older brother. And, but what we do know about these guys is they, uh, they had a zeal and they had an energy behind them and they had a passion. They had, uh, they had also uh, a focus to them. They, these guys were focused because when Jesus said, let go of your nets and follow me, they dropped him and left them. Zebedee the father comes running after him, chasing them down. Where you going, boys? Where you going? You, you're going to ruin my fishing business. We're going to follow Jesus. Once they got the invitation, they left everything behind and focused and went straight forward to where it would take them. And so, uh, so, so John, of course, we, the youngest of them, the beloved, we know a great deal about him, and we can understand greatly the importance of John. The, the intimate, close connection with John and Jesus results in the Gospel of John, which is singularly different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. The Gospel of John is so very, very different, and it's unique in its position of revealing the divinity of Christ. We learn more about Christ and the Godhead from the Gospel of John than we do from any of the other Gospels. We really see the divinity of Jesus through the eyes of John. There's something unique and special there when you read John uh, compared to the other Gospels. So he had a very close, uh, intimate, and detailed understanding of the plan of God from the beginning involving Jesus Christ. In the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, he understood things that the other disciples do not bring out in their Gospels to us and that would only come out somehow later in, in uh, the epistles. John, John would write in 2 in sec, in John or 3 John that, that to, to, to have the doctrine of God was to have the Father and the Son. Anybody that didn't uh, accept that the Father and the Son were the same denied the doctrine of Christ and didn't know God. So he knew something that the others didn't maybe necessarily make the, connect the dots so much. So that was unique. But what about James? What do we know of James, his older brother? What do we know of James? Well, we have a book of James, an epistle of James. But what do we know about James? James, if I were to say to you, who was the, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem? How, how many of you would say Peter? How many of you would say Peter was the leader of the church? He wasn't. Peter was never the leader of the church. Catholic Church claims Peter is the first pope, but he was never the leader of the church. Who was the leader of the church? Who was the head pastor and bishop of the church in Jerusalem? It was this James. This James. And the church 
the Christian church was one of the most organized organizations of New Testament time period. It was highly organized. And it was so unique in its ability to organize itself that two, 200 years later, Constantine the emperor receives that ability and adopts Christianity as, as an official religion of the Roman Empire because he understands that the church is the most organized complex unit that spreads throughout his empire and if he can get them on board with him and government then he could really help hold his kingdom together so but where does it start somebody had to uh, rise to that occasion so we don't know a lot about James but we know that if he became the leader and the pastor of the church then in Jerusalem there had to be something very unique about him, something very different. He had to be focused, he had to be passionate, he had to be organized, he had to be an administrator, he had to know how to keep things running and keep things going. Amen. It takes somebody doing that work in order to keep something happening. If they're not there doing it, it isn't going to happen. And James was superior to all the rest of the uh, 12 in the fact that he was the one that all agreed had the leadership ability to lead this great church of thousands and thousands that was growing so rapidly in Jerusalem. Not Peter, the big shot, loud mouth spokesman. He spoke on the day of Pentecost. Peter would bring the gospel on the day of Pentecost. He would be responsible for its transmission and completion to the Samaritans and finally to speaking to the Gentiles. And he would preach it to the Gentiles and help and assist it to the Gentiles. But Peter was never the leader of the church. He was an important player, but he wasn't the leader. So important was James to the church that Herod the king decided when he got ready to shut the church down and persecute it to throw him in jail and to kill him, which he did. And James became the second martyr after Stephen in the church. It was at the same time that Peter had been also captured and thrown in jail and the angel came by night and let him out, right? And he, he went to the prayer meeting where they were praying for him and knocked on the gate and uh, said, let me in. But... It, it was that scary and that desperate. James had already been killed, and Peter was the next on the list. So that tells us something about James. So there was something in these people that caused them to have this special selection. And this selection, they were part of the 12, but they were the big three out of the 12. So even though they made the team, these guys weren't on the bench. They were the front line people. They were, they were the ones that Jesus took with him up to the Mount of Transfiguration and revealed himself to them. They were the ones that Jesus invited with him to special prayer meetings. Come apart and pray with me. Uh, they, these people were on the inside. These big three were on the inside. So what about them that was so unique or so different? Well, we can, we can see a lot. We can see zeal in them. They had zeal for the kingdom of God and for the things of God. They, they had passion for the kings of, of God. They had focus for the kingdom of God. They had ability. They each had a gifting or an ability. 
that put them in a position of being uh, uh, profoundly helpful to the work of the kingdom of God. So as I said, Peter was not the first leader of the church that went to James. John the Beloved would live to almost 100 years of age and he had significant, but these three had real significant impact upon their times. Even though Peter wasn't the leader of the church, he had a significant impact upon his times. James, the leader of the church, we do not know that much about, but the fact that he was the leader of the church and the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, that was a significant impact upon his time. John the Beloved, of course, he, his life would span the longest of them all, and he would have tremendous and still continues to have tremendous and significant impact upon his time and upon our time because he left us a record of the future, a unique inside vision in his last days given to him by the one who had so much inside vision on Jesus and information. The book of Revelation show us what is coming. So these are important things. Now, why? Uh, and let's look at some things that matter. So, number one, let's, let's go to Acts, the second chapter. And uh, we're going to see a record of some other selections here. Actually, Acts, the sixth chapter. Acts, chapter six, and verse two. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. This is the, this is the choosing of the deacons, the deacons of these seven men. So this, this selection here, and this is the first office outside of the, of the office of the apostles, the, the, the original the ones that were called by Jesus. This is the first office of the church. This is where the beginning of the church getting organized came into play. And so they got these men. They were deacons. What can we say about these guys? Uh, they, they, they were full of wisdom. Uh, they uh, had uh, an honest report. They were full of the Holy Ghost. And they were able to administrate business. So there were characteristics concerning these seven people that got chosen out of the rest of this body of thousands of believers to work underneath and in connection with the disciples for the furtherance of the church. They had something going for them. At the beginning of all of that, there had to be something that all of them submitted to. And that was what we find in Acts, the second chapter, the apostles' doctrine. These continued daily in prayer and in the apostles' doctrine. So they had to have that uh, as a part of what they were doing. Secondly, they had to be full of the Holy Ghost. They had to be men of wisdom. They had to have an honest report. And they had to have ability to be able to deal with and to handle people and do that. <clears throat> so those were things that brought them in, uh, brought them up from everyone else and say, okay, you're going to be selected. You made the team. So there's a willingness there. Thirdly, there's a willingness and a passion to serve. 
And so these men carried the church further than their job description. They had a job. They had a job description. But these seven men carried the church further than their job description. They were not held back because they did not keep back or hold back. They were a deacon, but inside of the deacon was a preacher blazing to preach. And so Stephen preached and became a martyr. And uh, others of the Philip preached and brought the, and Philip preached and, and became an evangelist and brought the gospel all the way into Africa, amen, through the Ethiopian eunuch. So he brought it to the Samaritans, amen. These men exceeded their job description. Something in them put them where they were to begin with above everyone else, but that great something in them got greater and greater. Amen. It grew out of what they had already had. It grew because they gave and they put themselves into the work. Amen. And something else uh, happened for them to take them further. Then uh, we see uh, some common saints in 1 Corinthians 16 and 15. 1 Corinthians 16 and 15 talk about some just members of the church. It says here, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and they, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Addicted to the ministry of the saints. So the household of Achaia. What was he talking about? He was actually talking about a house church. I'm talking about a house church because that's how they did it in those days. They didn't have all these big buildings that we have today, and so they met in homes, and the church was was scattered about the city but it met in different homes and and so here was uh, the house of Stephanus and his household his family amen uh, were had, had come to the place of importance in the church in Achaia in all of this region of Achaia they were singled out as something unique this little house church with its little pastor and his family were singled out as something unique. Why? Because they had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They were all in. Whatever it takes to make church happen, whatever it takes to make it go, whatever it takes to get people saved and to keep them saved, whatever it takes to bind them together and hold on to them, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I will not be distracted. Amen. I am going to focus my zeal, my energy, my passions, my ability, my ministry, my desire to serve, amen, so that something can happen, the gospel can be preached, and the church's interest can be spread further and further and further. So important. In Titus 1, 5 through 9 and 2, 2 through 8, we're not going to take time to read it because I'm running short on time, but we see the qualifications for a bishop. If anybody desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. So there was this another rise. There was another rise, but there were qualifications for that rise. There were things that the bishop needed to comport to. He needed to, to be able to, we need to be able to say this about a bishop, that he is these things in order for him to become that. And then 
in the second chapter of Titus, you see some qualifications, some things required of the older men of the church, the elders of the church, what they're required, and the older women of the church, the older women who are required to teach the younger women, amen, how to be good wives and, and, and uh, homemakers and so forth and so on in the church. There were examples. There were things that were required of people in order for them to reach that next level of ability. So I'm going to close this morning, and I'm coming down to my point. God is calling a people out for his namesake. He's calling a church out for his namesake. And becoming apostolic is to fit the requirements to make the team. To become apostolic. To, become, to make the team, you have to become apostolic. You have to comport to the apostolic doctrine. Amen. That's the first bottom line. If anybody has any doubt as to what it takes, I invite you to listen to the last three Bible studies I taught in Waterville under the I am sanctified or am I sanctified sermon headline, am I sanctified part one, part two, and part three. You need to listen to those because they are requirements of apostolic, of an apostolic team. Hallelujah. Have you ever wondered perhaps why you weren't called to sing a special or to front a song or to teach a Sunday school class or to be involved in some kind of ministry where you'd be out front and people would notice you? Have you ever maybe wondered why that is not happening? Well, there are many reasons why. Just as there are many reasons why there are people that sit in the bleachers and watch the game but don't try out for the team. They are sports-minded, they love the game, and they love the teams, but they, they know that they don't have what it takes to try out for the team. And then you've got those that tried out for the team, <clears throat> amen, and didn't make it because they didn't qualify. They, they don't fit the bill. There's something not right uh, for them to be on that team that they need to get taken care of so they can make the team. Hallelujah. And then there, there are others that they make the team, but we're not going to use you right now because somebody else is better than you or more qualified than you and they're doing greater than you and this is the person that we need to use right now is them. But you're good, but, but we're going to keep you right here in reserve for when uh, we don't have these people who are doing these things. I, my whole sermon is right there in those last few sentences. Everything I need to say to you is right there. Amen. Pick me, pick me. Pick me. We all want to be on the team. Well, let's stand together. We all want to be on the team. But are we going to get off the couch and put down the tater chips? Are we going to get out and go say, well, I think I can do this and I'm going to actually go in for the tryout? I'm going to, if you ever did, I never did. I never did try out for anything. <clears throat> I knew they wouldn't pick me. But some of you did, and you probably had butterflies in your stomach when you went down there for that tryout, right? Butterflies in your stomach. I wonder if, the, I wonder if I'm going to make the team. I'm one, and you did. You gave it your best shot. You went home. You went home, and you were hoping and praying you'd get a call from the coach. And maybe even not even believing that you would. But, boy, when they call, came, hey, Catelyn, you're on. We're going to use you. Amen. Woo-hoo. I made the team. Batiste. Hit the field. <laughs> Amen. 
make the team. In order to make this team, you have to qualify. But it's not just so much about wanting to. Now, here's the thing. It's not just about wanting to. I was, listen, I'll show you something. You take a look at children. You watch children that are in this church. You watch them. If you see a child, not even a teenager yet, a child, or even if it's a young teenager, 13 or 14, if you see them with their hands raised, worshiping God in a worship service, talking in tongues, tears coming down their face, I'm talking about six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid, tears coming down their face, nobody pushing them out there in front, just a worship service going on. They got their hands up, they're worshiping, they're connecting with Jesus. You mark that child because that child is going somewhere with God. That child is going somewhere with God. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I, that's who I was when I was a boy. That's who Sister LaFave was as a young teenager in the church. The loudest prayer of all of all the people, adult, adults included, the loudest worshiper in prayer. Amen. <laughs> that, that was all in for God. All in for God. You mark them and you watch them because they were just little kids one time. Amen. And nobody thought they could do anything. They were just kids in the church. Amen. But there was a heart for God. Hallelujah. And a zeal and a passion and a focus and an energy. If you've ever gone to the dairy farm and bought a gallon of milk, it comes with the cream. And you take it and set it in your refrigerator and come back the next morning. And where is the cream? The cream is on the top. The cream rises to the top. You can't hold the cream down. You can't keep it down. You shake it back up in that milk, amen, and set it, and it'll start doing its thing. It'll rise to the top every time. The best that the church has, God knows where, the, where it is and whose heart has it. The best that the church has is what's going to rise to the top. It's going to rise to leadership. It's going to rise to work. It's going to rise... You, if you've got a gift and a calling of God, I can't keep it back from you. I can't hold you back. I won't be able to stop you. If God is in it, amen, no matter how many times you get shoved down and pushed down, and I was many a time, amen, it's going to rise to the top, and it's going to come out, amen. It's going to come out. You're going, to, you're going to find out, amen, that those people who are being used of God in great ways are self-qualifiers. They're self-qualifiers because they have it in them. They just have it in them to do it, to do it, to do it, to do it, to do it. Hallelujah. So if you want to be used of God, that's up to you. That's your heart. That's your passion. Have you ever tried to put oil and water together? You notice they don't mix? Oil and water don't mix. You can shake it up, and it'll look like it mixes for a while, but what happens to the oil? What happens to the oil? Separates. Where does it go? Goes to the top. Oil, you think oil would sink to the bottom. Oil's got to be heavier than water. It would sink to the bottom, but it doesn't. It rises to the top because water ain't got no fat in it. 
And if you're fat, you can really float. <laughs> Hallelujah. So what I'm saying here is if you've got what it takes in God, if you've got the stuff of buoyancy in the Lord, if you've got the buoyant spirit and the buoyant energy and the buoyant passion and the buoyant vision and the thing with lift in it, if you've got lift, amen, oh, hallelujah, you're going to come up. You're going to come up, hallelujah, and you're going to make the team. Oh, let's give God a big hand. Praise. Thank you, Jesus. Woo, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, I know we have roads to eat up and things to do, so God bless you. You're just Mr. Jesus.